0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective get ready for some amazing guests along with nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports the where why and how now here's your host nick ferguson
2: She was very a matter of fact. Like this is, you deal with this, you know. I would call her at nights, and that's who I talked to probably the most. Uh, man, just you know, commiserate, and she was like, "Hey, you can't do this tomorrow. You can't, you can't talk like this tomorrow. You got to step up." <laughs> you know, and she was, she was probably more matter of fact about it as anyone. Um, and she said for the kids and everybody else, you know, um, things happen. And she says, hey, listen, you got to deal with it, and, and got we we're going to be fine. And she said that over and over again. You know, and that's when you have someone that strong in your household, uh, that's good. You know, our family has gone through stuff, and uh, that's how we dealt with it. That voice you're hearing right there, that is Clippers head coach Doc Rivers, and he's talking about uh, the power and influence that his wife uh, had over him. Uh, as he was dealing, he and the Clipper Nation was dealing with the whole Donald Sterling incident. We'll get into that later on and, and talk about the how women still influence powerful men, whether it's in your house or, or my house. Our women, our wives, uh, for, for that matter, uh, still are in control, whether we like to say it, admit it or not. Here joining on the line, a guy who definitely knows a lot about that uh good friend Hans Heiser who covers the Atlanta Hawks Braves the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets we'll talk about that a little bit for uh 790 Zone and CBS Atlanta Sports and he's now the Fox Sports South sideline reporter for the ACC Hans thank you for joining us what's going on man Nick how come
3: you gotta refer to me as a guy who knows something what's going on with women in charge why is that that's, that's a heck of a segue.
2: Well, because I'm just being totally honest, and, and you can just be honest with the listeners as well. Uh, I mean, I know that, you know, I, you know, it said that, you know, your wife wears the pants in a relationship, right? But like I like right. to tell my wife, if you're wearing the pants, I'm the belt, and the belt can't, and the pants can't stay up without the belt. So the reason for me saying that about you is that you know just as well as I know that our wives are very influential people, In our lives and and a lot of our decision making kind of comes from them and they lead us in the right direction because we like to think that we're making all the decisions when, you know, we're not. Let's be totally honest, Hans. Yeah, I I don't do anything.
3: I, I show up. That's what I do. That's what I've been doing for 30 years. I'm consistent.
2: I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes my wife would tell me, hey, listen, uh, here's the agenda for this weekend. Uh, is this kid's party here? We're going to meet with this couple. And I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, when are you going to bring me into the fold and give me a, a, a manageable schedule so I know who I'm meeting with or have these so-called male playdates? I don't know about you, <laughs> but my wife loves to set up, set me up with these male playdates.
3: No, luckily for me, I don't, I don't have that, so... <laughs> I'm sure it's coming.
2: See, well, l- l- lucky for you, see, you know, at some point, you will have one of those male play dates. Your wife is going to meet someone at work or what? out at the gym, and she's going to say, well, listen, you know, your husband loves sports. My husband loves sports. Let's put them together. Now you have this big grown man play date. You guys sitting at home watching the Hawks of the Braves. <laughs> it's the worst place to spend an afternoon. I'm, I'm hey it is. The wor- you could be like more in the lawn. So the fact of sitting down with, with a guy pal, uh having a little bromance watching a sporting event, it's not that bad.
3: And so long as he's not a knucklehead. That's that's the only criteria.
2: Well, as long as he's not a knucklehead. Well, let's jump right in it. You know, college football season is upon us, and last night uh you had Abilene Christian and you know the Georgia State Panthers you know, getting at it. And this is the Georgia State Panthers, good for them. I mean, in their debut as a full-fledged member of the FBS uh, football bowl subdivision, and they were able to go out and and win a game. And that was great for uh, their program. I know you're down in Atlanta. What, What does it mean for the city of Atlanta when you have a team like Georgia State who's been trying to get that recognition to finally get that big win at the beginning of the season?
3: Well, I mean, you went to school here. I mean this is you know, uh they they just started a program, I guess it's been I wanna say four or five years ago, but uh, you know, it's 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 a process. You know, they're playing in the Georgia Dome. Uh they're gonna have a tough sled ahead on. that that might be the only game they win this year. Um they, uh, they're not a very good football team and, uh, you know, it kind of is what it is, but George State's a big school, man. It's, uh, it's really growing. It's about 30,000 underclassmen now in downtown Atlanta and rumor is, is that, um, when the Braves leave to go to Cobb County in 2017, Georgia State is going to purchase Turner Field in the adjacent parking lots from the city of Atlanta and turn into a multi sports complex for football and, bas- or football and baseball and soccer. So, Turner Field very well might be the future football site for the, uh, for the Georgia State Panthers.
2: Well, I, I know you mentioned, you know, the, the fact that the Panthers take a backseat to the majority of the sporting teams the Braves, the Hawks, the Falcons, uh, Georgia, and Georgia Tech. But, but it has to be a big win for them, knowing as though, OK, well, we've only been in existence as a football team for a couple of years. And they did go out and get, you know, a big win like that, even though it was a close game and they won on the last second field goal. That, that has to build well for, for that school. And you're mentioning 2017, they're going to take over turn and field. I mean, that has to help them with the possibility of recruiting and stacking that stadium, don't you think?
3: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a long process. I mean they you got to understand they just started a football program. I mean they literally are just having guys show up and putting on pads and, and trying to field the team. I mean Buddy Curry started this thing. I can't think of a better guy to start a football program, but he's now past the reins. He's no longer there, and uh, you know it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean it's, well, it's they're they're not very good, and I, I honestly believe that's the only game that they're going to win. And they're not going to be a, a, a major player in the landscape of college football ever. I mean, they, they're just not. It's just, you know, they were such a big school. People were scratching their heads why they didn't have a program. Finally, they mustered up the cash flow. They got a coaching staff. They put them together. And now they have a football program. They're in the Sun Belt. Uh, this is the first year you mentioned of FCS. And uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, man. But uh, they they got, they got a long way to go.
2: <laughs> well, they might not be a powerhouse, but I am – Happy they were able to get that first win of the season. Hopefully, it is not the only win of, of the season. Now, let's stay stay in the South for a bit here. Now, uh, I know you cover uh, the SEC, too, as well, for CBS Atlanta. Uh, when you look at the SEC, and usually, you know, they have star power, you know, with Menzel, uh, Jadavian Clowney, Aaron Murray, A.J. McCarron, Michael, Sam, Trey Mason, just to mention a few. But when you look at this new SEC, a new crop of guys, uh, Georgia, for instance, a new quarterback, no no more Aaron Murray. Now Hudson Mason takes over. Wh- what do you think is going to happen? How do you look at this Georgia team and Mark Rick moving forward, especially in the SEC? Well, I, I
3: think Georgia is going to get tested early, uh, by a team that lost a lot of talent. They'll play Clemson uh, on Saturday up in Athens, a team that beat them last year uh, up in Death Valley. But this is a completely different Clemson team. Uh, no more Sammy Watkins, no more Taj Boyd. Uh, they lost basically their entire defensive line. They lost both wide receivers doing some rebuilding on the offensive line. They lost a running back. So uh, it's a different team. It's It's a different team. And as for Georgia, last year, I mean, you can't even count the injuries that they had. Every single skill position was injured. Uh, Keith Marshall, ACL, out for the year. Michael Bennett, wide receiver, knee injury. Scott Wesley, tours ACL celebrating a touchdown. Uh, Malcolm Mitchell, he was out for the year. I mean, every single offensive weapon, the Georgia Bulldog, Aaron Murray. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. And they were all at the skill position. So Hudson Mason, who's a fifth-year senior, he's been sitting behind Aaron Murray all this time, waiting to get an opportunity, waiting to get an opportunity. He was going to transfer several times, and Mark Rick talked him into saying, basically selling him on the idea that, hey, your senior year, Aaron's going to be gone. You'll be a fifth-year senior. You will have every opportunity in the world to prove, you know, that you can be a quarterback at the next level and win an SEC championship. And now all those pieces, with the exception of Scott Wesley, uh, and Malcolm Mitchell might be 50-50 for game time. They're back, including Gurley, including Marshall. So you're talking about giving a guy the reins with every single weapon. He could have all the offensive line back. Um, maybe a Heisman Trophy winner. I know he's a candidate in Todd Gurley, and he's got just about as good a weapons as anybody does in college football. Now, as far as for the season goes, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how two teams – Play in the SEC East, and that's South Carolina, and that's Florida. Uh, Florida was just a disaster last year. Uh, defensively, you know, they're gonna be good. Offensively, they've had an identity crisis for the last couple years. You know, they went out, they got Brent Peace, they got Charlie Weiss. I mean, every year they're changing coordinators, they're changing <laughs> quarterbacks. So, this year they got a new coordinator who kinda of fenced Driscoll's scheme, so we'll see how they are. But as far as uh, South Carolina goes, we know what they lost. We'll actually get to see them play tonight. I'm looking forward to that game against A&M, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia's in the SEC Championship game. And I-, I like Auburn to come out of the West. And of course, they play each other in the regular season in the next to last, I would say end of, uh, end of October. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Auburn and Georgia play again in the Georgia Dome for the SEC Championship. Uh, probably, most most likely, with an opportunity to go to the, the Final Four. What are we calling this thing, anyway?
2: Well, you know what? Here's the thing, Hans. I mean, you, you talk about Auburn and Georgia possibly playing in the SEC championship game, and now we have Alabama that's ranked high in the polls. And, you know, Nick Saban has been known to be, have ability to muster up some talent. And now you have uh, Jacob Coker, who's now going to take the helm from A.J. McCarron. Now, I mean, if you talk to a lot of people, especially in Bama, and, that, and, and they may be a little biased, but they still think that Nick Saban can turn this around, and you could possibly see them in that fourteen playoff game, especially knowing as though <clears throat> no more BCS, and, and now you're going to have a 12-minute committee, well, 12 men and possibly a woman with Condoleezza Rice on that committee, pretty much trying to dictate exactly what team's playing at that that four-team playoffs, and Bama could find their way there because when you look at their schedule, they don't really have, like, a lot of top competition. And when you have Western Carolina and Florida Atlantic on your schedule, you can no longer use the strength of schedule as a reason to kind of put you above other teams. Well,
3: yeah, you can. You play Texas A&M and you play Auburn and you play – you know, all the LSU and you play all the schools from the West, you know, including Ole Miss Oh, Ole this Miss top 25 team, you get to see them play tonight. That's pretty darn good schedule. And don't sleep on Tennessee either. I think Butch Jones, uh, last year really made some progress with that football team. And you want to maybe look at a team in the SEC that not going to win it, not going to go to the championship. And it's just going to cause a lot of problems for people. Kind of like Missouri has been the last couple of years. I think Tennessee is going to be that team. So, you know, South Carolina, you mentioned Alabama. I, I think, uh, you know, year after year, Saban has proved that he can replace the ha-ha Clinton Dix, the Cyrus Quanjos. You know, every single year, he just seems to plug in another guy, and they're a parade All-American, and, you know, they end up going to the National Football League. But, you know, who else is kind of getting that reputation now is Steve Spurrier. So they lost a ton of talent, and they're 11-point favorites tonight over A&M. That seems like a lot of points, but you know they they lose Clowney, they lose the quarterback and Connor Shaw, and uh, you know and uh, at Bruce Ellington as well. So they lost a lot of pieces, and uh, he's kind of getting that reputation of just plugging in guys, and they seem to rise to stardom. So I wouldn't be surprised if South Carolina is a little bit better than people think.
2: But you know what, I think you know talking about the South Carolina uh, Texas A&M game that uh, is going to. Uh, Be broadcast tonight on the Four Letter Network. You talking about the fact of no Johnny Manziel, and we knew a year ago that he was the most explosive player outside of Mike Evans. Um, But also, they don't play defense, and then you you take their defense is a mess. I mean, it
3: is an absolute mess. It's (laughs)
2: it's
3: great. They, I mean, it has been since they got there. But look, Kevin someone going back to his days in Houston, they didn't win any games on defense. You know, they're going to score, and they're going to put points on the board and, uh, you know, hope that their defense can be opportunistic.
2: Well, that's why I, I, I'm not in agreement with the, the point spread on tonight's game because uh, Dylan Thompson, I mean, he, he played in relief of Connor Shaw when he suffered a couple of injuries, and you still have Mike Davis at the running back position who's a beast. And the SEC, so I don't see how they were able to give Kevin Semlin and Texas A&M the points over Steve Spurrier in South Carolina. I still don't understand that, but I'm anticipating South uh, South, South Carolina win that game. You
3: know, Nick. You know, we we got a couple boys that can run it now. Yeah, you know, we got we got a couple boys that can run it, and uh, you know, we (laughs) let Dylan play a little bit last year. I feel I feel like he can play, so uh, I I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be all right. That kid Manziel, uh, he's not there anymore, but I'm sure they have somebody to play quarterback.
2: All right, well, Coach Spurs, since I have you on the line, thank you for joining me. Well, well, well tell me, what is your future outlook for this team? Can you guys win the SEC championship? Well, you know, we,
3: uh, we'd like to do that every year. It's funny, the fan base around here, they talk about beating Clemson, beating Clemson, beating Clemson. Well, <laughs> we do that every year, so... <laughs> Uh, To me, you know, playing in Florida, I mean, it's it's all about winning the SEC. I don't care about playing Clemson. I mean, might as well be playing Western Kentucky. But, uh, you know, I give them what the fans want. But we got a good quarterback in Dylan Thompson coming back. We got a couple boys that could run it. And,
2: uh, yeah, we'll play a little bit of defense, too. I I like our football team. If you're just joining us, uh, I'm joined by Heinz Heiser, who covers everything in Atlanta and, and below the Mason Dixon line, Braves, Hawks. Falcons, we're talking SEC, and uh, we also have Steve Spurrier on the line as well. You can follow Hans Heiser coach at
3: gone. Hans just Heiser. Coach, he just coach just pulled out of three wood. He's playing through, so we'll catch up with Coach <laughs> on the back nine.
2: Yes, that's Steve Spurrier. I wonder if if Steve paid more attention or gave more of his time to the game and the offense. You know how, how much better would that South Carolina team be opposed to? going out and playing about nine to ten holes of golf every day.
3: Uh. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, I, I take that guy any day of the week, man. He is he is awesome. He's great for the game of football. Those kids that play for him absolutely love him. And, uh, you know, I hated him so much when he was at Florida. God, I hated him because he would do anything he could to run it up on Georgia. And, uh, you know, now South Carolina's you know, next to Florida, Georgia's biggest rival, but, you can't help but like the guy. I mean, you just you can't help but like him. I mean, he's just a, a very likable, charismatic guy. And like I said, I think he's great for the game of football. He'll be well, missed huh? when he's gone. He'll be missed. They don't have many characters like him anymore.
2: No, you have to lo- love watching old ball coach. But but Hans, huh, tell me real quickly. You know, the, uh, at the beginning of the year, we always talk about predictions and projections. And when you look at the high early Heisman uh, trophy uh, race. You know, I have a list here in front of me. you got Jameis Winston, number one, Marcus Mariota. Then you have Bryce Petty, who had a sensational year last year, putting up stats. And then, of course, we just finished talking about Todd Gurley and then Brett Huntley. How do you see this shaping out towards the And I know it's early, but, but just kind of give me your early prediction on how you think this thing is going to shake out.
3: Well, I think the Chip Kelly effect Last year, they were one year removed from him, so I think he's still, I, I think as we get further and further removed from him being there, we're gonna see significant, not significant, but gradual, uh, digressions in their offense. I mean, let's face it, he's an innovator. Yeah, sure, you can teach your pupil, he can come in, but I don't know that anybody's gonna do as good a good job as he is. So, uh, Marcus Mariana, I, I just don't think that that Horgan offense is gonna be as explosive as it has been in, in, in years past. Uh, I like Todd Gurley is is not proven to me he can stay healthy. I mean he's he's the best player in college football hands down when he's healthy, but he cannot stay healthy for a full game. And there's talk about him run uh doing kickoff returns this year. So that even that even <laughs> further's my uh my uh my questioning as far as in staying healthy all year. But <laughs> I like the kid Hunley out of UCLA, I really do. I like UCLA to actually win that Pac-12 and go to the final uh, the Final four of the college football playoff. And it, I, I just uh, really like what he did last year. He would have been a top-15 pick had he gone pro. He came back. And uh, I like the UCLA team. Morris coaching them up. I didn't think it would work out, but I think it was so crazy that it actually worked.
2: Well, tell me this before I let you go. Of course, big game Saturday. We have one tonight, Texas A&M and South Carolina on the four-letter network. Uh, give me a couple of predictions for or a couple of picks for this Saturday's uh, matchups in your mind. Well,
3: uh, let's see here. Well, I'll start with the game that I'm doing, and I know Nick, this is dear to your heart. Uh, <laughs> the Washington Warriors are coming here to uh, Atlanta to play down uh, play down at Bobby Dodd. don 't we'll see what old Coach Johnson's got up his sleeve this year. Uh, so I'll go out on a limb and take the Jackets in that one. Hey, let me ask you a question. I mean, you played yes. there. How much longer are they going to put up with this mess?
2: Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, I've had a chance to talk to some of the alumni, and they're, they're not uh, pleased about uh, the way that the, the direction of the program, but they really can't do anything about it. The school is still on the hook for the new basketball arena that they built. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. It's it just it's terrible. And then they paid, they're still play, paying, I, I believe, Paul Hewitt uh, the yeah. former Georgia Tech basketball coach, and if they were to try to remove Paul Johnson, that's an extra $10 million that they really don't have. So it's just mean, like,
3: Can't you see every year removed from Chan Gailey, there's less and less talent on the football team? I mean, every year. Last year there was one guy on the team who could play, and it taught you. Now he's gone. Now there's nobody on that team that's really good. The quarterback, we'll see. I I think that's a big question mark. He's the best athlete they've had in a long time. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, when when, when Johnson inherited the team, and you're talking about all the talent he had with Bebe and Derek Morgan and Jonathan Dwyer
2: and and Nesbitt, those guys don't come to
3: Tech anymore.
2: Well, you know, it's all about recruiting in the areas that you choose to recruit and, and, and the system that you have, and we all know. Uh, Paul Johnson system is the option system that really don't throw the ball down the field in the vertical passing game that much. And it's going to be interesting to see what Justin Thomas does against Wofford. And I guess it's great for him in his first start that it is Wofford that he's starting against. And like you said, Ted roof, you know, he he doesn't have that much experience on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so he's going to have to rely heavily on Quayshawn Neely, Isaiah Johnson, And Jamal Golden to kind of spark that that defense. But uh, I think it's going to be another one of those kind of disappointing seasons for Georgia Tech until they're able to get some of those premier athletes in the program. And the question is, will they be able to do that with Paul Johnson at, at the helm? Well, you know what, yeah. I'm glad you picked you know, my, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets to, to win. I didn't know if you were going to go out on a limb to do it, but I, I, I'll do something a little different than I, maybe Georgia Tech fans would get upset with me about uh, before we get out of here. I'm going to pick Clemson, I mean, excuse me, UGA over Clemson because both teams have a new, new quarterbacks. But I like the fact of even though Keith Marshall is coming off injury, when you have two running backs like this, it's, it takes the pressure – off the quarterback. And then, you know, like I said, Ty Gurley, Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, Georgia hasn't had one of those in some time. And who knows? Maybe they can get a Heisman Trophy candidate and win an SEC in the same year. We yeah. don't know. That's just I speculation. You,
3: the best defensive player in the country I feel plays for Clemson, that Mick Beasley defensive end. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was a top-ten pick, came back for his senior year, He is going to be an absolute beast. So watch him coming off the edge. And real quick before I go, one of the games that I'm most looking forward to is the kickoff over across the pond in London early on with Central Florida and Penn State. To me, James Franklin, George O'Leary, two of the top ten coaches in all of college football, a guy at a new program at Penn State, be interested to see what he gets out of the, uh, those guys, and of course, uh, Coach O'Leary, who might be in his final year at Central Florida. We don't know yet, having to replace Blake uh, Blake Bortles. But you know, that's a, always a dangerous football team. I'm looking forward to that.
2: That that should be a great game between two great uh, organizations and two great coaches, ladies and gentlemen. That was Hans Heiser and Coach Steve Spurrier on the line. You can see, you can follow Hans at Hans Heiser on Twitter, and he covers the Jackets, Hawks, Braves, Falcons, Fox Sports South, sideline reporter for the AC- ACC. Hans, thank you. Oh, make sure we're probably going to get you back on next week to preview the upcoming season for the for those Atlanta Falcons. How about that? That sounds good. All right, Hans, thank you for joining the program. All right, Always. after the break, we talked to Jeff Hauser about C-U-C-S-U and those Broncos out in the Mile High City. This is Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective on Voice America Sports.
4: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? (laughs)
1: you're listening to Secondary Perspective With Nick Ferguson To get in the lineup for today's show Please call one 346 9144 That's one 346 9144 Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com Now, back to the show
2: Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective We just got off the horn with Pondtie is a great guy down, the, down below the Mason-Dixon line, giving us everything about the SEC, ACC. We have him on next week to give us a preview of the Atlanta Falcons and what's going to happen down in that uh, neck of the woods. Joining me on the line right now as we go around uh, the country, it's college, college football season. Joining me is Jeff Howes, a college football writer for Rants Sports And we're going to talk a little bit, you know, college football and a little bit of Broncos. Jeff, thank you for joining Secondary Perspective. What's going on?
5: Oh, absolutely, man. I'm very blessed and humbled to be on the air with you today. And uh, how are you doing?
2: I am doing spectacular, Jeff. Uh, Before we started with Hans, we joked a little uh, uh, about the role that our, our wives and girlfriends and significant others uh, play in our lives. So before we jump in, it, I want you to tell me, you know, how influential has your fiancé been in your life?
5: Kara's been really instrumental in my life. I, I think that she's my rock, and and she keeps me upright most times when I'm sideways. So, you know, we, beyond that, we, we're good for each other. We fight, but, you know, what couple doesn't fight, and we're... Or more like, how, how would I put it? What, I can't even compare it to any any relationship you would know on television. Maybe uh, Alan Peg Bundy from Married with Children. I, I would say that's probably a good representation right
2: there. Wow. I mean, of all the references you can use the shows to reference, you chose to reference Married with Children. Well, well, I, <laughs> wow. Wow. And I'll, I'll say this, Jeff. You know, you're on with me. So so you can drop the pleasantries and really tell me how it is. You know? Oh, no, it's who, good. It's good. Who, all right. Who wears the pants in the relationship, Jeff? If you want to watch the ball game tonight and she wants to go see a girly movie, what's going to happen? Who's going to win that one?
5: Oh, she's going to want to watch a ball game for sure. She's a huge Broncos fan, so oh. that's not even a question. She She wouldn't even... She wouldn't sacrifice Broncos' time to go see a girly movie,
2: I can tell you that much. Woo, boy, you hit the jackpot, Jeff. Football over oh, yeah. a girly movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Now, let's jump into a little football. Now, you, you, you cover the Denver Broncos, and when you look at uh, this third preseason game, Wes Welker went out with an injury, his third concussion in 10 months. How is that going to affect this offense moving forward?
5: See, I don't know if it's going to affect the offense as much as it's going to affect Wes Welker. And I think that you're not hearing more chatter about it because the team's trying to keep it part of their game plan. I mean, they know if Wes is coming back or not. They're trying to keep that to themselves based on the observations in front of them. I mean, they don't want other teams to know what his status is because they still want to have him as an active part of a game plan for another team. Now, I will say this. Uh, I'm very disappointed that there's not a whole lot of uh, media pressure from here in Denver as well as the national scene to have the West Welker situation looked at as a whole. This is his third concussion in 10 months. And, I mean, if the guy can't play, someone needs to step in and tell him that he can't play and that medically, if he takes one more ding or one more hit, it could have some pretty significant balance to his future. And I think that's the, the thing that people need to look at in this situation is why, why are we now in an age where we're not taking more precautions to an already evolved topic like the concussion topic in the NFL?
2: But but don't you think the Broncos organization is doing their due diligence to make sure they keep him out, get him evaluated, and not rushing back to put him back in the fold, even though the Broncos... Of facing a four-game stretch that's going to be rough that starts with a Sunday night kickoff against the Colts? Oh,
5: I don't. I don't, and I'll tell you why. Because it's a win-first mentality. It's a get-out-there, bust-your-ass mentality in the NFL, and that's not part of their agenda. They're, part of their agenda is not to keep a guy out. Part of their agenda is to get a guy back out there and make him work for, for what he's getting paid for, which is to go out there and play. Now, in saying that, I know that the NFL has taken certain measures to have an independent doctor on the sidelines during games, but I don't know if that's really a, a stretch because you still have the team doctors who will ultimately make the decision over the doctors that are hired by the NFL. Well,
2: even with that being said, I know there's been a heavy emphasis on you know changing the rules. We've seen a lot of that in the preseason. And due to you know concussion lawsuits, there's a lot of protocols that have been levied down. There's even someone uh, that I was reading that their position is to be on the sideline as an outside position to monitor such cases like this of what Wes Walker sustained in the concussion off of the DJ Swerger hit. So, I mean, I don't want to think and feel as though a team with all this information that's out there and, and people paying close attention to what's going on that the training staff at the Broncos or John Fox or John Elway would choose to rush Russ Welker out and put him back in that lineup sooner than he needed to be. I mean, that's why, is it not? that's not why the reason why they drafted uh, Cody Lattimore to help out just in case he were to get injured or Damaris Thomas were to sustain an injury during the season.
5: Oh, and that that was the reason why Cody Latimer was drafted so highly by the the Broncos. But look at it this way. Look at the example with the uh, San Diego Chargers. I I can't remember the the guy's name, the offensive lineman, who had to be helped by three teammates just to get back in the game, and he didn't have symptoms until they were on the plane coming back home when they were playing the Jets. And you, you saw what that had an effect on him. I mean, the seizures and everything else. Um, I I just, it makes me shake my head that no precaution was done in that situation. But I think that teams are becoming more, they're becoming more aware and they're becoming more educated on the concussion issue. I just don't think enough is being done like it is in boxing, like it is in, in other sports. Now, what I will say is that the, it's a, it's a mentality issue. It's, you know, in football, you look frowned upon if you're sitting on the sidelines not playing. But I think that the NFL needs to take a closer look. But then, like you and I have talked about off the air, what happens when you have three running backs and all three get knocked out of the game? Right. I mean, uh, uh, that, that's a huge factor within the entire game because you've got to think, now this game's going to pass. They're not going to run because they don't have any options at running back. So, of course, they're going to step to the line and pass every down which makes the secondary just pick you apart even more.
2: Well, that, that is true, and, you know, we talked about that off air when we were talking about the Denver Broncos in their first preseason game against Seattle Seahawks where they had two running backs to pretty much go down with concussion-like symptoms and how that would actually affect the Denver Broncos, but also if you're a team and you have multiple players on on offense, whether it's running backs or tight ends or wide receivers, how that's going to affect you long term and being able to put pieces on the field. I mean, this concussion uh, situation, it's deep. I don't think it's going to go away as long as the game is physical. There's a lot of contact. It is going to be an issue, and what I forecast happening is when teams look to college athletes as far as draft prospects, you know, they do the, a lot of their due diligence. They talk to trainers. They talk to support staff to find out about the player's character. But they're going to dig further into the physical part of it, the physical makeup of that player. How many concussions did that player have? And that's going to change where that player is drafted, which is going to change the amount of money that player potentially has an opportunity uh, to make. And it might take some guys who are very talented out of that 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 upper tier A draft pool and put them in the lower tier draft pool so concussions is something that teams definitely have to monitor whether it's NFL or college uh, football Uh, let's transition a little bit to uh, college football if we will Uh, I know you're covering CSU CU game uh, this weekend in that game what are you looking to see
5: well, you have a Colorado team that came off of a 4-8 and eight season last year under then-first-year coach Mike McIntyre, and he he really is trying to get the Buffs turned around in the right direction after being rocked by a sex abuse scandal less than 10 years ago and having a program that has really been in a rebuilding phase uh, and to throw everything on top of that fire, the the Buffs joined the Pac-12. So they went from the, the Big 12 to the Pac-12, which... Making that jump for CU has been no cakewalk, no cakewalk whatsoever. They've only had two wins in the Pac-12, and to say it lightly, they, they've really struggled. But now they go into the Rocky Mountain showdown with CSU, and this is the 86th time that CU CSU will play each other, and it will be it'll be a good game to see the the Rams, which you know the Rams last season were. A really healthy team and they went eight and six and had a bowl game win against fellow Pac 12 team, the Washington State Cougars. And now you have, uh, this CSU squad who comes in feeling like they're an underdog. It was funny because, uh, head coach Jim McElvain said, you know, that he was confident in playing the buffs, but also he did point out the fact he said, look, they're a Pac 12 team. They have better resources. They have better money. They have better top recruits. Then we do, we get it, but at the same time, we're going to go out there and play just like they will. So he's not phased because of the the divide within college football now. And, you know, it was something that I had asked uh, Coach McIntyre about, about the, I don't know if a lot of people know about it. It didn't get a whole lot of press, but the autonomy ruling right? where now – college football teams can pretty much, if you're in the power five conferences, you can make up your own rules. And this passed through the NCAA board stating that if you're in a power five conference, you can make up your own rules. And it's uh, from here on out, it's going to be the top 65 teams in those bigger conferences that are the ones on the inside looking out towards the smaller schools. And now the the big – Power 5 conferences, so we're talking the, the Pac-12, the Big 10, the Big 12, the SEC, which I think is highly, highly overrated. I would agree. Um, yeah, and I think most people would definitely agree with that, uh, as well as you have the um a missing one here.
2: So Pac-12, ACC, Big SEC, 12. Big 10, Big 12, Big and the Pac-12.
5: Uh-huh. So out of those five, they get to make up their own rules with the 65 teams. So you're going to see a lot of change in college football where the these power 65, if you will, will not have to play the Division II teams or the, the smaller conferences within their schedule. So it's going to create more competition, but it's going to create a system where the the Boise states of the world won't have an opportunity to play for a national championship.
2: Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, having this full autonomy, it's it's, the way it's being proposed and suggested. It's something that benefits the college athletes, the cost of attendance stipends, uh, staff sizes, recruiting rules, insurance benefits, and the hours that collegiate athletes spend are either on the field or, or the hardwood. So uh, it's being positioned as something that benefits them, but you know, which is great. I realized that and there's something, <clears throat> and I've talked about several times on the show that the fact that college athletes need to be paid for what they do and how they help the institution bring in, you know, new students and enrollments and, and the head coaches benefit as well for larger contracts, but it, it is going to pr- pr- prove to be a problem, um, going forward for some of the lower tier schools. They don't have the money. So they're not going to be able to schedule, maybe put Alabama on the list, you know, sacrificing their their program, but at the same time, you know, capitalizing off of that by being able to get maybe five or six million dollars for playing a school of that magnitude. So once again, you know, there's not a perfect system. I'm glad to see that they're trying to make some changes. But but it still presents some problems for some 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 lower tier uh, schools. Uh, we're going to talk about this a little more in depth uh, after the break. Uh, we're going to talk about what teams out of the top twenty five could potentially make their way into that four team championship game and get see if we can get Jeff Houser to give us a couple of his picks for this weekend as we get you set. <clears throat> For this week in college football, this is Nick Ferguson, secondary perspective. You listening to Voice America Sports?
4: The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They
0: Look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network.
4: Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
1: You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call one 346 9144 That's one 346 9144 Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
2: Sometimes That's right. Some of the most outrageous stories in college sports. Larry Fedora, Tar Heels head coach, suspended four players. That's right. Four players from the season open against Liberty for a situation or incident that took place during fall camp. Brian Walker, Desmond Lawrence, MJ Stewart, and Donnie Miles are the four players will not participate in this Saturday's game. Also, Josh Shaw, who allegedly told everyone at the USC that he sprained his ankles jumping from a second-floor window to save his nephew, who could not swim. Come to find out, that story was fabricated, and he finally came clean, which led to this team suspending him indefinitely from the program. Now, I've heard of so many things when I played as a player in college football and as a professional athlete, but to fabricate a story of jumping out of the window in a heroic effort to save a drowning member of the family and not tell the coaches the real reason why that you sprain your ankles, I mean, I, I, just, I, just, I just don't get it. And to start off the college football season being suspended indefinitely or being one of the four guys suspended from North Carolina, I mean, you got to make better choices. You have to make better choices. And Nick Marshall, the successional quarterback from last year for the uh, Auburn, he, he's not going to start the game. He's going to play. But he found himself in some offseason issues, and that's why Gus Monzon has decided not to start him and when you look at Jeff, when you look at the Heisman race, and I was talking to Hans Heiser earlier uh, about the Heisman rate, race, you have both Nick Marshall and Jameis Winston, who both quarterbacks played in the title game, BCS title game last year, both found themselves once again on the opposite end of uh, the law, and their Heisman Trophy you know, dreams and hopes could be in jeopardy opening the the gate for someone like Marcus Mariota or maybe Georgia's running back, Todd Gurley, to to sneak in. When you hear these stories about guys who are placed in great positions to not only change the lives of themselves but their family, but they don't make the right decisions, I mean, what's your first impulse?
5: Well, I think in the case of Shaw, he just made a bad decision. You know, he should have been forthcoming. About what happened with the team, whether that be, and I think what's going to come out of this, you know, a lot of people say that he was running from LAPD or, you know, stuff like that. I don't think that that's the case. We would have heard more coming out of, of, uh, of that. I think that that's all fabrication. But I think in a weird twist to the story, I think that he, he did it, uh, and I think that he was ashamed that he did it for the reasons uh, that will be really unknown to us. And, uh, I think that it's just a, it's a slap in the face to USC. I mean, this guy was a captain. He was named a captain shortly there before, uh, on the same night. I mean, on, on Saturday night, he was named a captain and all of a sudden he ends up with an ankle injury and then lies about saving his nephew. And that's, uh, everything that is in the dark will become light at one point. He should have known that and he should have went to the university and said, look, you know, it was a dare by a friend. I, I was jumping for X, Y, or Z. You know, it was stupid. I, I, I'm sorry it happened, but to fabricate an entire story that went to a national level and everyone says, you know, he's so heroic and, you know, he, he put family before himself. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a huge slap in the face to the Trojans program, for sure.
2: It, it, you know, things happen in the offseason. And and I myself, when I was young, I, I made some, you know, poor choices and bad decisions. But, you know, the one thing that I did learn and my parents taught me is, you know, the whole idea of the truth will set you free. And when you look at whether it's Josh Shaw, Kobe Bryant, or anyone else for that matter, to have the ability to come out and have that humility to say, well, this is what I did. Put your name on it and have that accountability. I, I think... If he were to do that or he had done that, I don't think he would have been suspended for the team indefinitely. It's only when you lie about a particular situation and then you come back and you are to say, well, this is what I did, which gives you know, puts eggs on the face of everyone else who stood by you. And I think that's why he finds himself in, in this particular predicament. So the whole idea is just go ahead and tell the truth or, or prevent it, the whole situation entirely. Don't put yourself in those situations that are really judgmental calls. So I think he,
5: I think the main reason he lied is because he didn't want the university finding out why he really jumped. And I think that is going to, what comes to circle back on him is why did he jump? Why, yeah, but- why are you jumping from a second story balcony right in the morning? And, and if it is to elude the police, you know, and I, I don't think it is because we would have heard more of that situation unfold as the lie came out to us. I don't think it was that. I think that he just wanted to make himself look like a hero to not get suspended.
2: But but, but, but what he that, eventually ended up because he was overwhelmed by guilt and right. there was going to be so many holes. Uh, there were so many holes in his story and there, he was going to be found out that he eventually told him anyway. So my, my whole point is just go ahead and tell. Come clean. And then see what the organization does from that that particular standpoint. But to lie about it and then kind of let people tell a story like you're a hero, and then later on they find out the truth, whether through an investigation or you just kind of come clean, you you just make it all the worse.
5: I agree. I agree, and I think that moving forward, you know, this will hurt Shaw not only with his status with the university, but it will hurt most and his draft status going forward to the NFL, because he is a senior, he was named a captain, and he was a good part of that secondary for the USC Trojans last season. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the university plays. If they, I mean, they could just release him. They could take him off scholarship and just release him and say, you know what, it's fine, go somewhere else. And uh, I, I don't know if that's... Going to be their, their attitude. It's going to be an internal decision between Shaw as well as the university.
2: Well, let's talk about a guy who's seen his fair share of off the field issues and trying to change his national persona, and that is Jameis Winston as they take on Oklahoma. Before we went to the break, uh, you know, we were talking about this very briefly. You know, when you look at these two teams, you have one team that's pretty much kind of fallen off the map off the national scene, but another one that has rekindled that, and that's Florida State and Jimbo Fisher. When you see these two marquee organizations get together and battle it out on a gridiron, I mean, what jumps out at you uh, from this, this particular matchup this weekend?
5: You know, I, one of the things that jumps out at me is the fact that Oklahoma State went 10-3 and three last season, and they were 3-2 and two against uh, top 25 ranked opponents, and they really took care of business on the field. Uh, they come into this season being unranked, which I, I think is a shock, but you know, given what they have and what's in front of them, this, this might be uh, a game that really makes people turn their heads. Uh, and the reason they say that is because you have a Florida State team who's coming off of a national championship win, and this game is going to be played at AT&T Stadium down in Arlington, Texas, Jerry's house. So it's going to be on a neutral field and is a designated home game for Oklahoma State, given the fact of proximity between Oklahoma State and Florida State. Uh, this is going to be a huge matchup, and it's going to prove if Florida State can bounce back off of all the offseason, I don't even know what you'd call them, the, the offseason mishaps. For Jameis Winston, and of course him stealing crab legs from a Publix grocery store, uh, just ridiculous. But more the more the fact, and I know you and I have talked about this off the air before. More the fact, looking towards the future of what Florida State's going to do with Jameis Winston under center.
2: Well, you know it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like, and if you know Florida State were to lose to Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State. Uh, team, you know, it def- definitely would change the landscape of how this 12 uh, men, female committee is going to determine who plays and that those, that game at the end of the year when you get four teams vying for that number one spot. Uh, you know, coming into the season, of course, with James Winston coming back, Florida State was viewed as one of those top teams that were going to play in, in, in that game. Now, looking at how that committee has been put together, and looking at the fact that we have five power conferences and only four other teams are going to be able to get in, I mean, for me, it's going to be really frustrating to know that, you know, there's five power conferences and only four teams can actually get in, and you can't make everyone happy. You you just can't. You try, but you can't make everyone happy. Do you feel as though this new system, is definitely going to be the system that we can hang our hat on and we can look at it and say, well, the BCS got it wrong, but now we can look at this 12 person committee and knowing that they're going to get it right. We can week out, but more importantly towards the end of the season, when you're looking to place those four teams for the national championship.
5: I don't think so. I, I think there's going to be a revision somewhere down the road. Uh, four teams is a good number, but they're, at, like you said, there's always going to be a fifth. There's always going to be a tenth. It, there's always going to be the odd man out and the one looking from the outside in, wanting to to be in a in that championship situation. I think to to everybody's credit, you just have a playoff. You say, here you go. Here, here's a playoff. Go out and play it. And you you have. Uh, I think you structure it kind of similar to the top 25. You have that extra month that isn't used in between the holiday break from November to December to play it. And really, if you if you went to the top 25, you will only have, uh, out of the top 25 teams, you're only going to play six games if you make it to the championship. That's not a whole lot considering the season. I mean, you can ax off all of your non-conference games that don't matter and you, you can really restructure the schedule to accommodate all that. And I think that somewhere down the road, it's going to advance from four because you're going to have that great discussion after the first couple of years of, well, what about this team that was undefeated but still was ranked number five and didn't make it in, you know? And so I, I think that four is too few, but like you said, you're always going to have the odd man out.
2: Well, Jeff, about five seconds before I let you go here, Oklahoma State, Florida State, who wins?
5: Uh, It's going to be a tough game, but I think Florida State does uh, do their due diligence, and they do win because they're a much better sound offense.
2: Well, there you have it. That's Jeff Hauser. You can follow him at Radio Hauser, H-A-U-S-E-R, on Twitter. Covers college football for Rant Sports. Thank you, Jeff, for joining the program. Also, I'd like to thank Hans Heiser, Uh, for joining the program as well and giving us that great insight about the SEC football. Thanks to my guys in Arizona who keep the program running as smoothly as possible. Have a great weekend. The college football season is now in full motion. And next week we talk NFL football. All right. Nick Ferguson, secondary perspective, voice American sports. Have a safe weekend And hopefully your college football team wins this weekend. Go Jackets. Nick Ferguson.
1: Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week.